and welcome to the Board Game Dojo. My name is Eric. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Whether it is your first time joining us, you listen to every single episode or somewhere in between, we cannot tell you how sincerely we want to thank you for just giving us a little bit of your time today. Today is a review episode. It's a little bit later in the week than we usually do these, but you know, I'm getting over that Essen con hangover thing. <laughs> so I'm a little bit off schedule here, but we will be back to our normal schedule uh, next week. But today we're actually going to start our coverage of Essen. We're going to do it a little bit of a strange way. I think next week we're going to start our like true coverage of all of the games that we got from Essen. And I'm not going to say that every game that we are going to cover for the next month or two is from Essen specifically, but a lot of them will be and I'll let you know which ones those are. But today we're actually going to start by talking about some games that we played when we met up with people both before Essen started and after our Essen ended because we got to actually meet some people from the Portland Game Collective Discord before Essen started for dinner, which was really, really fun. And we got to play uh, both the prototype that one of them had designed called Trick or Bid. And we got to play the new Friedman Freeze game, FTW. So those are two of the games that we are going to get to talk about today. But also afterwards, we got to meet up with Ben from TravelGames.co.uk and his brother-in-law. We also got to meet at the same dinner, Sai Beppu and her husband. And all together, we played a six-player game of No Thanks. So we are also going to talk about that classic game. We're taking the opportunity. I think I've talked about it just like a little bit before, but today we're going to go into our full review of it. Just a heads up that really the holiday season is right around the corner and we're going to start it a little bit early with some giveaways. So starting next week on our YouTube and on our podcast, we're going to be announcing different giveaways to get some free games. So I'll announce like the particular rules for it next week, but I can just let you get started on it a little bit that I can tell you right away that doing things like following us on YouTube, following us on Twitter and Instagram, those things are the ways to get into the raffle for these free games. So if you haven't done it already, I would go ahead and get on that. I think that the prizes are really, really good this year. We gave away five games last year. We're going to probably at least do that many this year. So yeah, go ahead and do that, and I'll give you more of the rules for that next week. But let's start getting into the games that we played. So the first game we are going to talk about today is actually a prototype game from somebody in the PGC Discord. PGC meaning Portland Game Collective. And they go by the username Reticent, and in parentheses, not Ryan, which I guess is technically the truth because his name is Jeremy. And the game's name is Trick or bid. Now, this game has a very straightforward hook to it. And let me explain the rules because it's not going to really take me very long. This game is a trick-taking game that is a must-follow with no trumps. And what that means is that whatever color, whatever suit that the lead person plays, so if I play a red card, for example, then everybody else at the table, if they have a red card in their hand, has to follow that must follow. And because there's no trump, then all of the suits are the same strength. So in my example, it'll be the red is the strongest suit for that hand. And like other trick-taking games, whoever plays the highest value then takes the trick. But the interesting thing about this game is that that trick can be one of two things, and it's what the name implies. It can be a trick, or it can be a bid. Yes, that's right. This game is a bidding trick-taking 
game. And how you're going to do that is you are going to look at the trick that you just won. And you're going to look at all the values other than your card that you played. And the number values that are on those cards are going to be your bid. So let's say, for example, that I win a trick. I played a red seven, for example. And the other players around the table played a one, a three, and a five. And I, of course, take that trick because seven is higher than all of those other numbers. And then I look at it and I can't pick my seven, but I could pick the one the three, or the five as my bid for how many tricks I think I'm going to win that round. Now, the important thing to remember is that that trick that you use as your bid does not count as a one bid, and this paves the way for a zero bid. Yes, that's right. There is a shoot the moon mechanism in this game that I'll explain in just a little bit. Everybody needs to win a trick so that they can bid or else they get negative points if they don't make a bid. So you do need to at least win something. And you'll keep playing over and over again until all of the cards have been played. And then it is time for end scoring. First, you'll take a look at if anybody successfully shot the moon or not. If you shoot the moon successfully, meaning you won zero tricks other than the one that you won to bid with, whew, what a sentence that was, then you win Boku de points. But if you tried shooting the moon and actually you did win some tricks, you're going to lose a lot of points, which in this case was seven points. And I know that because, well, I did exactly that. But then you also look at if people met their bids or not, or and how they missed it if they missed the bid. So if you got right on the right bid, awesome job, you get some points. If you met your bid and then went over, don't worry, you still do get some positive points. But if you made a bid and you don't at least reach that number of tricks won, then you're going to get negative points. You'll calculate your points, you'll play a few rounds, and whoever has the most points at the end of the rounds wins. Now, my first thought when we finished playing this game was, how does this game not already exist? There seems to be like a not complex line to get from point A to point B, right? Like you make a bid and you use the tricks you win to make that bid. But I'm surprised that like nobody has thought of this before, but I am glad that it exists now. We talk a lot on this show about introduction games, and I think that is partly due to who we are playing games with, but we talk a lot about, okay, this game is a good introduction for this, and this is a good game for an introduction to this genre, but this game I don't say is an introduction trick taker. I think this is a family trick taker, and that is because it is feels like a game that I would bring to my in-law's house or my grandparents' house or my parents' house for the holiday season, which, hey, that is coming up, so maybe I'm just thinking about that a little bit. Um, it's a game that's like, hey, no, 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 no. We're not playing Uno today. We're going to play Trick or Bid. Like, this feels like a game that I could go into Target or Walmart or your local supermarket and pick up this game for, like, $6.99 or $9.99 and know that there is nobody in my family that could not pick up this game. This could be picked up by my grandma. This could be picked up by my six-year-old cousin, if I had one, but, you know, hypothetically, go with it, right? Like, anybody could play this in the family. And it also has that quality of allowing people to not be overwhelmed by all the complexities because really, like, because it is a must-follow with no trump, there's not a whole lot of rule complexities to learn about who wins each trick. Okay, if the start player plays a color, you need to play that color if you have it. If you don't have that color, you're going to play another card, but you're not going to win. Okay, that is very, very easy to kind of get your head around. And then you can also start learning slowly what a good bid 
is without really, really harsh penalties because what I like about this game and I think what makes it work is that you still do get positive points if you miss your bid, but you go over it. And so what that can actually allow people to do who maybe aren't familiar with trick-taking games is allow them to make a bid of one or two. And then if they win three, they don't get penalized for it as much. Now, if they're going to make an excessive bid of something like seven, well, they need to learn that that like, whoa, 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 okay, you're not going to win seven bids most likely on this one. You're going to be losing some points there. But there's a bit less harshness to it, I think, that makes it work. And so that's why I'm kind of putting it in this kind of family trick taker family. But if you're going to go after family trick taking games, you're going to have to go up against the king and you best not miss. And what I mean in this way is the skull king, because this game is going to really go heavy. It heavy maybe is the wrong word, but it's going to go up strongly into the minds of buyers who are going to think trick or bid or skulking because both of them are going kind of after this family weight bidding trick taking game and i don't know how many people are going to actually want to own both of these and the thing about skulking for me is that people who like skulking really like skulking but in the past couple of years, and we talked about this a little bit in my interview with John Barron because he puts it in his top three trick takers. The thing that I've come across in the past couple of years is that I have found an equal amount of people who both really like skulking and play it all the time and people who really don't like skulking and refuse to play it in any way. Skulking is a, just kind of like as a, like a very, very general overview, is a game in which you're going to be making bids similar to this one, but it has different suits that might win things. So there's um, like a, like you have your numbers, but then you also have like a mermaid, you have a pirate captain, and you know, there are like a whole table of who beats who. And then in there's like exceptions, like the pirate king is like, or skull king, I think then like that's like the strongest rank, but it can be beat by a mermaid, which is usually like the weakest rank. So there's like a lot of stuff that you have to learn in order to play that game. And I think it makes it, it definitely makes it interesting, but it also makes it a little bit harder to teach. And so it actually just kind of ramps it up. Like the first round, everybody only has one card. So you're just bidding on if you think you're going to win that one trick or not. Then round two, you have two cards in each hand. Three Round three, you have three cards in each hand and so on and so forth until you get to like round 10, I think it is. But trick or bid is a lot safer than Skull King. I think it will, I, and I kind of hesitate to say this, but it's kind of, I don't think it's going to make anybody's top three trick takers, but it's also not going to have anybody that I think will dislike like the game. And I think that there's a spot in a collection for both. I kind of think of my collection as something like I make my fantasy football team. And if you, we've talked about fantasy football before. I know it's not like completely uh, adjacent to uh, board games and card games, but you can go back and listen to our psychology episode on the psychology of risk and how, and fantasy football and my kind of thoughts on that. But the way like you construct a sports team or fantasy football team, you construct a collection, I think can be very, very similar because you need to have things in your collection that are very consistent. You know, you have those players that are batting 300. They're not going to knock out 60 home runs in a season, but they're going to be very respectable. Nobody's going to dislike it. It's just not going to knock it way out of the park a number of times. But you also need to have things in your collection that are going to either hit a home run or strike out. 
right? I'm keeping this baseball analogy. Even though I said fantasy football earlier, I'm keeping a baseball analogy now. But this is not to knock either one of these kinds of games because I think that there are spots in collections for both. But I think you have to know your game group and you have to know your family if this is what you're trying. You have to know them best. What are they going to like? Because trigger bit is going to be a lot easier teach. It's going to be a lot better if you're trying to teach people what a bidding trick taker is. And it's going to be a lot less harsh. And you can probably play it with a larger amount of people and have everybody have a good time. Skull King is just going to be a game where you might introduce it to somebody and they might hate it, but they also might love it. I think Skull King will get a lot more of the reactions of, holy smokes, this is trick-taking? What is this? What else do you have on that enormous shelf that you have of trick-takers? Like, show me what else you got. This is really like crazy. And then you're going to have people want to play over and over and over and over and over again. But just as often, you might turn people off from the genre anyway. So it's all up to what you think is going to be best for your game group. And my ultimate opinion on both of these is that they are both good games. I know that right now Trick or Bid is in its prototype stage, and I know that there is a pitch that was done at Essen. Hopefully that went well for you, Jeremy. But I definitely see that this is probably going to get published because it is just such a clean design. It is so easy to like it, and I think that either if you choose like Trick or Bid, if it comes out right, like you get Trick or Bid for your family or Skull King for your family, I think that you are picking a good game. And that is Trick or Bid by Jeremy Mueller, and it is, as of now, unpublished. The other game we played with the same group of people was a game called FTW, and this is the newest game by Friedman Freeze. And this is a climbing shedding game that has a couple of different things going on at any one time. So you're going to have your hand of cards, and the goal is to get to one card left in your hand because once somebody reaches one card left in their hand, then the round is over. So there are different ways in which you are going to be shedding out this hand. The first way is probably the main way that you've seen in other shedding games. You're just going to play a card to the center pile of the table and you need to climb. So you just need to be able to play a card that is bigger than the previously played card that is sitting on the top of that pile. Nothing that hard. So if there's a 30 on top, you need to play a card that is higher than 30. The second thing you can do is instead of playing a card from your hand to the pile is you can play it to your tableau in front of you. And what this does is that it allows you to, on a future turn, use a card from your hand plus that card from your tableau in order to be able to climb to a bigger number in the center table. So let's say that right now there is a card that is a 46 in the center of the table. And on your tableau, you have a 32. Now, in your hand, you don't have a card that is higher than a 46, but you do have an 18. So you're gonna use that plus the card in your tableau to get higher than the 46 that is on the table. You would discard the card from your tableau into the discard pile, and you would play the 18 from your hand. And this is a way in which the center pile kind of resets. But there is another way that this center pile resets. Because the other thing you can do on your turn is instead of playing a card, you can actually take a card from this center pile. You can dig through it and take the card that you want. And if somebody does this, then the whole card pile goes into the discard pile and gets reshuffled. So there's a couple of ways of kind of resetting this climb instead of just kind of 
okay, saying, uh, pass, 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 pass. And then, okay, okay, tricks over, we're, we're redealing. It's, okay, it's a continuous pile going until, you know, somebody either takes the card from the center pile or they can kind of like soft reset it, I'm going to call it, by adding a card from their tableau to the center pile and playing a lower card from their hand. Now, you're going to keep going until, as I said, one person has one card left in their hand. And there should be an announcement when anybody has two cards left in their hand. Um, I'm not going to say what we called them at the table if they didn't announce that, but it wasn't a nice word. But you're supposed to do that. And then you will do the final scoring. The final scoring is a bit strange, though. So you're actually going to take the highest card that is left in your hand, and then you're going to subtract out any cards that are left. So the person that only has one card left in their hand, their math is easy. But let's say you have a 45 and a 30 and a 12 left in your hand. Well, okay, that 45 is a nice high card, but then you have to subtract the 30. So now you're at 15, and then you have to minus the 12 as well. So now you're only at three points for the round. And then you'll do this for a couple of rounds, and then whoever has the most points wins. Now, I don't have a lot of experience with Friedman Freeze games. I've only ever played Power Grid and Friday before. I thought Friday, mm, I, I didn't really like Friday actually all that much, and I thought Power Grid was okay. It was, it was a pleasant experience that I would play again, but I'm not like itching to very much. And so I really, though, those two games are more in the popular side of Friedman Freeze games. I never yet played a game from him or really seen what people say of like, he's kind of like a mad scientist with the way that he does his games. And I think this is really my first experience doing that because everything about this game just changes the headspace of what you think a climbing and shedding game should be. Every climbing and shedding game that you've played before this, well, you're going to be thinking a little bit differently in this game than you would before. So for example, okay, you're climbing and you're trying to shed, right? So I should keep playing the cards that I have in my hand that allow me to climb because that means that I'm closer to winning, right? Well, maybe. But at the same time, if you play a card that is really high, like let's say a 58, well, okay, wow, you're doing really good. You're going to make the next person pass, right? But actually, do you really want them to pass? Because they could very well just take your 58 that you just played. And now their higher card in their hand that they're going to be using to score is going to be a lot higher. So, okay, maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe you want to play a card to the tableau. That would be kind of nice. I mean, it doesn't really like, I mean, it doesn't help your opponent, right? Or does it? Because you know you're going to be playing it later. You know you're going to be soft resetting later. And so that's going to also help some other people. And Okay, so now I'm thinking like, all right, what am I what am I trying to do here? Okay, all right, let's get back to the the main thing. Let's get back to the main goal. The main goal is to get to one card because that's what you do in a shedder, right? Okay, maybe the climbing aspect is like a thing where I really have to think about, but okay, shedder. I need to shed my hand as much as possible, right? Well, that's also a little bit different in this game because oftentimes in our games of this, the person who actually shed down to one card the fastest oftentimes didn't win because if they were shedding quicker, they were playing the higher cards from their hand and the one card that would be left over in their hand would be some kind of middle card. So let's call it a 26, for example. So their score was a respectable 26, but the person 
that didn't quite get to one card left had been storing up the high card, like a 58 that I used in my example earlier, and the cards that they had left over in their hand were actually going to be like a 58, a 2, and a 4. And so actually, they're going to get a 52 for their score, even though they didn't shed as well as the other person. And so then you're also sitting there like, wait a second, so hold on. So climbing, this is a climbing and shedding game, in which climbing isn't always good, shedding isn't always good, what is good in this game? And that's where I'm getting to at this point. It's a game in which you want to do everything. Everything at face value seems like a good idea. But after you think about it for like a moment, everything also seems like a bad idea. If I climb well, I'm helping the other people. If I put something to a tableau, I'm helping other people. If I want the high card that somebody else plays so that I can score well, I'm helping other people because I just reset the whole deck. If I shed well, I might win. But if I shed really, really well and other people still have their best cards in their hands, well, guess what? They're still going to beat me. And this is where I come down on this game of like, what is going on in this one? Like, this is a climbing shedding game that feels nothing like a climbing shedding game. It feels like a hand management game. It feels a little bit like a bluffing game. I don't know what to make of this. And that reaction was shared by other people at the table. I mean, one person at the table, seemingly with just facial expressions, was counting down until this game was over. They really did not like this game. And I can definitely see why if you go into it with the sales pitch of this is a climbing and shedding game, you're going to maybe be a little bit disappointed in it because it basically tosses out the window what people like about climbing and shedding games. It just puts a different spin on it, sure. This game just feels like a little bit more mm, kooky, for for lack of a better word, and I don't really know how else to put it. I, I, like, personally liked it. I want to play it again. I want to explore this more with different people and see how different people approach this. I want to see that if I play this more, is it always the person that has like a really high card and a couple low cards that wins the round? Because that's just how it happened in our game, where the person who shed the best usually didn't win, but they usually came in a respectable second or third. Maybe it's more of a pusher luck element to it a little bit more. Because, yeah, maybe you're going to get lucky sometimes and be able to have a really high card with a couple low cards. But what happens if you have just high cards left in your hand? And I think that that is where I want to see if this game takes me. Because right now, I think I probably have this, if I were to put a numeric value of it after some first impression games, I think I would put this at somewhere around a 7 out of 10. Like, I want to play this more. I want to explore it more. But I also think that some people are going to, and I saw this with firsthand experience, bounce off of this really, really hard. And I guess that that is what I've kind of heard about a lot of Freeman Freese's other designs, is that they're a little bit out there, they're going to be interesting, but for some people, they are just not going to be at all what they want to play. And that is FTW, released this year by Friedman Freese and published by 2F Spiel. Finally, the night before leaving Essen, we got to have a nice six-person dinner at an Italian restaurant. There was a whole train fiasco before that, man. I don't even want to get into that. But after we had finished dinner, it was kind of like starting to wear down on the night. We were thinking, okay, you know what? It's really rare to get a six-player game going. Let's see what we got. And luckily, I had gotten some games from Ben, and one of them was a set that we could use to play No Thanks. 
So No Thanks is a classic, I think, at this point, but it is a modern card game in which you do not want points. In your hand, you're going to have a kind of secret amount of chips that will differ in count based on the player counts. But let's say, for example, let's say that we start with 10 chips, okay? So then we're going to flip over the top card of the draw pile. And whatever value is on that card is how many points it is worth, remembering that we don't want points. You have two choices of what you can do on your turn. You can either take the card or you can pay a chip to not take the card. So let's say it's a nice high number, like something like a 30. Well, I definitely do not want 30 points. So I'm gonna put a chip from my hand into the middle so that I cannot take that card. And then it goes to the next person. They have a decision. They can either take the card or they can pay to not take the card. Now, an important aspect to this is if you decide to take the card, after people have already started putting chips on it, you also get to take those chips. So then the next player after that would have a choice. Well, I don't really want 30 points, but I do want two chips. So is that worth it? The other thing to keep in mind is that if you take cards that create a consecutive series, then it is worth the value only of the lowest number in that series. So for example, let's say the person decides to take that 30 card, and then later in the game, there's a 31 card, so they take that one too. The total would not be 30 plus 31. That would be a lot of points. That would be 61 points, which is not good. No, they would only take the points for the 30. And then even if they do later, if they then add a 29 to that series, well now you have 29, 30, 31, the only card that they get points for is the 29. So this is a way of kind of getting around that. If at any point during the game you run out of chips in your hand, then you have no choice. You have to take the card. You'll go until all of the cards in the deck have run out. You'll then count up all the points that you took from your cards. You'll then subtract out any remaining chips that you have in your hand. And the person with the lowest score wins. Now, I adore this game. I really, really do. I played it a bunch before COVID and then played it a bunch online during COVID. And now this is the first time that I've gotten to play it afterwards. And I think my favorite group to play this with is with people that are a mix of people who have played the game before and people who have not. And that is exactly what I got here because of the six of us, four had played it before and two had not. And I love playing with this kind of group because I love seeing the look of realization that happens throughout people's first game of this. Because the people who played it before, we're, we're sitting on one end of the table and the two who had not played it are sitting back to back in turn order on the other side of the table. And we start the game and we're getting like an eight and a 10 and a 12, like lower end of the spectrum cards and we're kind of taking it we're like yeah okay i'll take like an eight with a one counter and yeah all right yeah like i'll take a 12 with a couple counters like that sounds all right and there and these two are like what i thought we didn't want to take cards what are you doing we don't want this right like right and we're going yeah 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 we're, we're, we're okay you'll see you'll see and then soon enough they start realizing it as we're going okay hey that person that took the eight now we have a seven at the table. We really do not want them to get the seven. All right, can I count on you to take the seven if I don't take the seven? We're trying to like work to make sure that that person doesn't get it. And again, these two are like, what are you guys talking about? Why would they want to take a card? Remembering it's like, hey, remember, like they took the eight earlier. And so they definitely want the seven because then their eight is kind of nulled. It is now worth seven points. Like that's really good, especially if they can get a counter on it. And then they're like, okay, well, 
all right, whatever. And at the beginning of the game, your hand, you know, you're keeping these chips in your fist. And so you really can't make like a perfectly accurate count of how many chips you have. And slowly but surely, you start wearing it down as you say, no, thanks. I'm not taking this card. No, thanks. I'm not taking this card. Nope. And then you like right around when it gets to like four left in your hand, you can start feeling how many chips you have left in your hand. And that moment when you can start feeling how many chips you have in your hand is a moment of like panic that you have to like contain to yourself because you start getting to four and then to three chips and then to two chips. And now you're like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, what have I done? I start seeing, okay, now I know why earlier they are taking those low cards that had like a couple chips on and oh no, because now you're getting to the 28s, the 30s, the 17s. You know, these are shuffled, so it's not always going to come out like that, but like in our game, it was just so funny because like you could see the look of, oh no, like please somebody play like a low card, please. I just need a low card with like a couple chips. And it's like, you're not getting that. You're not getting that. You have to be running low on chips over there, aren't you? And it's that realization that they start getting of what have I done and how can I get myself out of this? And then they start thinking, okay, well, all right, I guess I'll take a 29 this time. And now where's the 28? Where's the 28? You know, and it starts getting, it starts clicking of all the little decisions that are in this game. And it just adds to this layer of humor that is kind of built into this game. That is, this game is not one to be taken super seriously. It's kind of like a card game that's kind of a party game, kind of not. I love this game at like five or six, so you can call that a party game if you would like. Um, And... What I love about this game is that you can get into it with other people. You can bluff and lie if you want to. You can goad other people into trying to take a card that they don't really want if you want to. You can play this game as a group and what you want to make of it. If you're if you have a really loud group that likes to make fun of each other and things, this game is going to be awesome for you. You can have fun with this game if your group is not like that. You have a mix of people like we had where it was some people who knew each other, some who didn't, some who spoke the la- same language as you fluently and some who don't. This game just works for those groups because the rules overhead is so low and they get out of the way so quickly that it allows the players to make the game what they want it to be. And I think that this is why this game has worked for such a while. It's a reason why I think this is the perfect game to get for as the holiday season is coming up. Like, if you need a cheap gift to throw into a stocking, if you want a game to bring to the holidays, No Things is such a good one to play with. It has been published by so many people in so many languages that I know that it is easy to get wherever you are. And I just cannot recommend this game enough. I think, I, I think I'm going to do a challenge at some point where it's like I have $100 maybe to make a collection. And No Things would be really high up on that list of games that I would put in a $100 collection. And that is No Thanks, published in 2004 by Amigo. It is designed by Thorsten Gimler and art by Oliver Frondrich, Dennis Lohausen, and Atelier Lovinter. Well, I'm hoping that this episode made even an ounce of sense and that my voice was at least pretty decent. I'm still feeling a bit of a sickness that I got during Essen, so hopefully this episode was at least somewhat of a pleasure to listen to. Uh, we are doing so much on our YouTube with 
we have started incorporating YouTube shorts. We have a new TikTok account. We're putting more reels up on Instagram and Twitter. We're trying more ways to interact with you. We are going to be adding more videos and video reviews. We're going to be doing more podcast episodes. Like we have so much that is going to be coming up through the holiday season. So make sure that you are subscribed to us in your medium of choice and maybe even mediums of choice so that you can keep up with everything because we're not going to always overlap between our YouTube and our podcast. We just have so much stuff to be reviewing and adding that it's just going to be best for us to kind of put certain things in certain spots. So that is going to be it for today. Arigatou gozaimashita. Until next time, janne! Janne!